In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, so I'm going to try and whiz through uh, number four um, so that there's some time for um, Q&A. I was hoping you guys would vote for Q&A because I've never spoken so much in one day in my life. Um, <laughs> and I don't like it. Um, so we'll, we'll zip through the challenges um, and then we'll, we'll take uh, some questions. So actually, how about... How about some of you come up with what you think are challenges and see if there's stuff that I took quotes from the fathers. This whole section, I literally just took quotes and quotes and quotes on how to deal with different things. Um, but what would you guys say is maybe offhand what you think is one of the challenges to prayer? Time and distractions. Okay, so I guess we'll start with time and distractions. Um, So this is about balance as well. So, on balancing the world, work, and prayer. Um, when you guys say distraction, are you talking about secular things? Are you just talking about mind distraction or wandering thoughts? Or, or what are you referring to? Okay. So they're all separate things. Okay, so we'll start with <laughs> the balancing um, because a lot of us struggle with the balancing. Um, so I'm going to read you this, this one section um, from St. Theophan the Recluse that I really liked, um, which um, I think this was, an, actually, this was in the book On the Art of Prayer, um, but I'm pretty sure they took it out of the, one, uh, the green book, um, The Spiritual Life and How to Be Attuned to It. So he says, The question arises, how can we hold the Lord in our attention while busy with various activities? This is how it can be done. Whatever your occupation, great or small, reflect that it is the omnipresent Lord himself who orders you to perform it. This is a different way of thinking, right? Is to take even your daily tasks as coming from God. Um, as the Lord himself who orders you to perform it and who watches to see how you are carrying it out. If you keep this thought constantly in mind, you will fulfill attentively all the duties assigned to you and at the same time you remember the Lord. And this lies the whole secret of Christian conduct for one in your position, if you, are, if you are to succeed in your chief aim. Please think it over carefully and adjust yourself to this practice. When you have done this, your thoughts will cease to wander hither and thither. Why is it that things are not going well with you just now? I think it is because you wish to remember the Lord for getting worldly affairs. Pay attention to this part. So he's saying you want to remember the Lord, okay, um, and, and not worry about the worldly affairs. But worldly affairs intrude into your consciousness and push out the remembrance of the Lord. What you should do is just the reverse. You should busy yourself with worldly affairs. But think of them as a commission from the Lord, as something done in His presence. As things are now, you will fail both on the spiritual and on the material level. <laughs> but if you act as I have explained, things will go well in both spheres. So what is he saying here? We actually talked about this in the last lecture. Yes, right? It was about the whole looking at the world through the scope of your relationship with God, right? Is that if I view being honest with my gifts as being a divine command, because it is, right? He said to use your gifts and to invest them and to come up with more, then we will be able to put this. But it's also about actively putting God in remembrance at all times, right? Like this is a required work. It's to take that secular thing and make it, make it religious. Um, and in so doing, you're praying while you're at work, and you're able to pray about it um, after. Um, or what this could be summarized in one line is, the body at work, but the thought with God. Okay, so the, the physical is doing something, the mental is doing something else. That, that is how a Christian should be. Um, but we also have to be careful about something else. We have to be very careful about being enthusiastic about physical work um, without paying attention to the spiritual work. If you're overly carried away by your work, and this is a disease of our century, um, your head's going to become confused because we're very ambitious people. Um, we're ladder climbers. Um, we're, we're corporate, 
right? It's cutthroat, and if I don't do this, I'm not going to climb. And if I get pushed off the ladder, then it sucks, and then I can't support my family, et cetera, et cetera. But all of this is pretending that God doesn't exist, right? It's completely forgetting that He knows your needs and that He wants you to be happy, but that there are also things that are more important than climbing the social ladder. Um, so we've got to be careful not to flip to that extreme because it's when we start to overly do the secular that we get confused. And if your head is confused, you can be very sure that your heart will be as well. Um, I also, I posted this on Facebook the other day because it was really, really good from Theophan as well. I'm not, I'm not going to summarize it. I'm going to read it as well. Um, and someone can summarize it for us after. Um, this is about distraction and captivation of the heart. You tell me that you are subject to distraction. This is the first attack of the enemy which is harmful for our inner order. When you enter into communication with other people or busy yourself with secular affairs, do so in such a way that you still remember the Lord at the same time. Act and speak always with the awareness that the Lord is near and directs everything according to His pleasure. Therefore, if there is something that requires your attention, prepare yourself beforehand, so you will not be withdrawn from the Lord in the course of attending to it, but will remain in His presence all the while. You should pray to be granted this. It is certainly possible to acquire this habit. Simply make it a rule from now on always to act in this way. But the second snare of the enemy that prevents us from dwelling within is the cleaving of the heart to some particular thing and its captivation by this object. This is worse than distraction. Captivation of this type did not in fact happen in your case, and you soon returned to your former condition. But if your heart had cleaved to something, keep in mind this is a letter to somebody that he's saying this to, you would have had a long drawn out struggle to shake yourself free. In that case, it would have been necessary first to tear the heart away from the thing it was cleaving to, and secondly to engender a revulsion against it. Keep this in mind and protect yourself in every way against distraction, and still more against captivation of the heart. The remedy, the remedy is one and the same, not to let the attention withdraw from the Lord and from consciousness of His presence. Can someone summarize what he said? What are the two issues here? One of them we had just said, so it's, it's easy. That was the second one. And what did he say about the captivation of the heart? Right, actually that was all of that was step one, um, was to learn revulsion but good. And then the second step was actually about keeping the remembrance of God. So if you are struggling with distraction, what he's saying is you need to kind of get introspective and question yourself. Are you, is there something that holds possession of your hearts, right? For a lot of us, there's this barrier. And if you think about it, this is actually what affects normal human relationships, right? Like one of the like... Um, first notices that somebody um, is interested in somebody is how they're suddenly very distracted, right? You'll be in a group with somebody and it's like they're not there, right? And we're all like, oh, he's busy. Um, <laughs> and it's because his his mind is not physically present, right? It is with something else. There's something that's taken hold of it. Um, and so Theophan's like, okay, it's one thing to be distracted, right? Like, it's like, oh yeah, I have work, I, I'm worried about tomorrow's meeting, I'm worried about blah, blah, blah. And it's another thing where something takes your heart captive, where it's like, all you can think about is your career, all you can think about is your relationship, all you can think about is, is how bad your kids are. Um, like, is these random things that they can take, and it can be secular, and it could be fake spiritual, because sometimes we have, um, sometimes it's service, where it's like, no, Uncle so-and-so, like, he's just dominating the service and he sucks and, like, he's not letting anybody, but if I could do it, um, then it would be a completely different story. So we have to guard ourselves from these distractions. Um, but then let's take it a step further, okay? So if you get the distraction and so you, you lose attention while praying. Um, one of the things that we ought to do is to vividly represent ourselves to the Lord. This is one of the reasons why having an icon can be helpful. And actually, the fathers have two extremes. There are some that are like, don't you dare. They're like, like only go internal, don't even look around you, don't even look at an icon. And the others that are like, no, have an icon. Um, so it's 
it's a school, right? Like it's whatever you find yourself more warm to. But you need to find a way to kind of mentally bring yourself to the awareness um, of the presence of Christ and of His image, right? Is to at least be able to say in my mind, why am I distracted? Who am I standing in front of, right? Like if you were granted an audience with uh, Obama, um, like <laughs> your president, um, <laughs> I guess I'm saying it wrong. Um, <laughs> If you're granted an audience with the President of the United States of America, um, you're not going to be standing there um, with your, your face everywhere, like, oh, wow, I'm, like, I'm, even, if you don't, even if you're not a Democrat, right? You're still going to feel something special that you're in front of, like, the leader of the, the Western world and of the world's present superpower. Um, so if we would do this with a human dignitary, then we need to also bring to our remembrance of who it is that we're speaking to and that it's not a small thing to pray. Like, you're not just, like, you're not doing him favors, okay? Like, you're not doing him, like I said earlier, a courtesy um, where you can just be like, I'm so kind, I stood before the Lord today. No, you're standing before the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, the author of the universe, okay? So we need to vividly represent to ourselves the Lord who is at our right hand. Um, Look at him with the eyes of your heart, and then you'll find that time goes quickly. So bring to your members who you are speaking to. Um, the other thing that can help you dealing with distraction or wandering thoughts is protecting your mind throughout the day um, of not letting um, idle talk enter. Um, we spend so much time reading completely useless things. So I'm not saying don't be cultured, right? But like when, when Twitter first came out, like, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Like, I was like, somebody explained it to me, and they're like, no, 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 you like just have, like, 140 characters to just, like, say something that's going on, like, you ate breakfast and stuff. And I was like, who cares about your life? <laughs> like, why would anybody read that? And then, like, no, it's doing really well. And I was like, why? <laughs> like, how is that? And then I looked at some of them, and it was literally like, ah, so frustrated, hair dryer b- broken, <laughs> like, retweet, favorite. I'm like, what's, that's news? Um, like, why is that on the, on the radar? So when we have all sorts of ridiculous things entering in, um, and it's like, who, who knows what Lady Gaga is going to wear to the next award? Like, who cares what she's going to wear to the next event? Why does that have any importance in my life? Right? There's something St. John Chrysostom said back in the day that I think is just as relevant now. Um, so chariot, like, races back in the day were kind of like, I don't know, like F1 racing today. But, like, um, he goes, you guys are, like, a useless lot. He's talking to his congregation. He goes, you know the names of all of the charioteers, and you can't name the four Gospels. <laughs> like... It's true, right? <laughs> we can say the most like ridiculous stats about like how badly the Lakers are playing or the Clippers or something like that. Um, but <laughs> but we have no clue. And somebody will sit there and talk about something right out of the Bible, right? And they're just kind of like, um, oh, that's cute. Anyway, um, so where are we going to eat? So if we don't protect our minds from wandering and from putting in idle talk during the day, then you're, gonna, you're stuck with memories. These memories are going to resurface. Um, and out of these memories, the enemy weaves a web in your, front of your mind's eye to get it to go away from the image of God. Um, and when this happens, you need to descend into your heart again. Okay? Like consciously stop and say, no, 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 no. This is not where my mind is. This requires work, is to just stop whatever it is you're doing. Some people will repeat the whole prayer again. Like, that's a useful exercise. Um, you don't have to do it, but regardless of what it is you're doing, you do need to kind of stop, return to yourself, and go down. Um, basically, confine your mind with the words of prayer. Limit it to what you're, what you're doing. This, at the beginning, does require work. We do need to actively teach ourselves again how to, with, to regain focus. Because if we're in a conversation with one another, and then my mind just goes off to somebody that I'm thinking about while you're talking to me, then this is, like, I'm not in the conversation anymore. And then you come back and like, sorry, what? What? Um, and the person in front of you is not happy. Um, it's kind of like the people who are texting when they're at dinner with people, where it's just kind of like, okay, when, when you're done, let me know. 
um, and then we can continue. Don't ask me how my day was and then start texting somebody. So we need to make sure we're doing the same thing with God. And it might require us to be like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Um, and return to ourselves, and He's still there. right? He's like, nope, come again tomorrow. Um, he will be listening. Um, because all of the prayers that we have, that we discussed, all of them, um, have enough meat in there to meditate on. Like if we're not able to draw our own words. Um, another issue that some of us run into, um, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, is sometimes we just don't feel like it. Like there's not another reason. It's just I don't feel like it. I don't want to stand up and pray. But it is necessary to rouse the heart to pray. Otherwise it will become dry. And if it becomes dry, good luck trying to rouse it up again. It's a very difficult situation. Because the attributes of prayer must be love of God, sincerity, and simplicity. We're praying because we love somebody. We're not praying because it's just a, a duty. Um, and actually, St. John of Cronstadt, it was interesting that he wrote this. He said, people say that if you do not feel inclined to pray, it is better not to pray. But this is crafty carnal sophistry. Okay? He was like, this is um, a very tricky, very bodily or secular um, fake sophistication. I was saying, no, no, no. If you do not have the feeling to do it, then don't do it. Um, but if you pray, this is what he says. And keep in mind, this is a saint. Okay? This is not um, some, like, he's, he's had to work at it and he's admitting weakness that we do have those moments. If you pray only when you are inclined to, you will cease praying altogether because that's what the flesh desires the kingdom of heaven suffers violence right this is the verse that christ said the kingdom of god suffers violence and those who take it must take it by force it's not something that you take passively you will not be able to work salvation without forcing yourself so one of the best analogies of the spiritual life is war because you are you are at battle okay and if you are a soldier you need to be fit for battle. So there's a whole element of training before you go to war, right? And then when you are at war, right, you need to keep your focus and your attention. Because if you take your mind off of the battle to somewhere else, you're now weak, right? Because then your enemy can easily take you down. And if you're injured, you can't fight, right? And so if you're fighting, fighting hard, and you get injured, no problem, right? We, we're impressed. We will, we will honor the person who's injured at battle. We will also honor the dude who dies at war, right? We will name highways after them. We will have Veterans Day. We have all sorts of things where we celebrate the people who have put their lives out for the sake of a great cause. The only people that we look at with contempt and with, revile, with and reviling them are the ones who take off their uniform and, and just give up or he mutiny, right? They're just like, no, I'm joining the other side. They look like they're winning. So... Keep in mind that we don't always feel like it. And I'm sure that not every soldier at war feels like being at war. Right? Like, I don't think they wake up and like, it's a good day to fight. No, they would really rather not be fighting. Um, like, let's just have peace. So we do need to fight. Um, feelings. Okay? Sometimes we struggle to pray because of our feelings. Um, but feelings towards God, even without words, are actually a prayer. Words can support and sometimes deepen the feeling, but we do need to understand that we can use even our feelings to pray. So, if God gives you the gift of feeling, then you need to be humble about it um, and accept it as, as a gift, but treat it as a gift. So, if there's a day where you don't have feeling, that's okay. Okay, like we said earlier, don't, don't focus on feelings all of the time because we are variable in those things. But there's a lot more to our humanity than our, than our emotions. Um, I'm not going to discuss finding words to pray because we, we went at that at length, I think, in the last lecture. Um, there's one really important aspect that, that I'm surprised didn't come up as the first one about an obstacle to praying. What about the people who pray a lot and then stop? What is usually the reason why they're like, I stopped praying? Okay, that's a very good one. Um, it wasn't what I was thinking of. I was thinking of one where we get angry at God for, actually. Very good. Um, unanswered prayer actually is a whole section on itself. That would be a whole lecture which I didn't prepare for. Um, but um, 
the absence of God, right? Is that we, a lot of people say, I don't feel like praying because I don't feel like God is there. Um, so God is never really absent, right? If God is, if, if we think God is absent, that is just another feeling. Um, but like we said at the first lecture, we have to understand that um, prayer is understood in the context of relationship. So it's a relationship which is very deep and that can't be forced on either party because it's a free relationship. This is all in your Anthony Bloom book. He spends like the huge first section talking about this. Um, are we trying to force God to meet us at a certain time, right? Um, are we saying, like we said before, because we are not living the whole day in prayer, we're not living in this active state, and so we're literally saying, this is the time that I've got for you, so we better show up. Um, and in fact, even when we're praying, are we putting our other idols up in front of our mind? Right? Where it's just like, no, I came to you, I'm saying my Ben Lazi and my Psalm, um, when I'm actually planning for the next day, or I'm thinking of my significant other, or I'm thinking about uh, my problem at work, or the next meeting, or whatever it is that we occupy ourselves with. Um, so we complain that he does not make himself present to us for the few minutes that we reserve for him. But what about the rest of the day, where you completely ignored his existence? When God might have been knocking on the door trying to speak to you, and you refused to open. So it's so important that we, we turn around and look at ourselves in self-accusation, um, because usually it's us who said, I'm busy, I'm sorry, come back at another time. Usually. Um, it's very, very uncommon that it's the reverse if we're going to be honest with ourselves. And I'm not like all about like self-hatred and self-loathing. But if we're going to be honest, usually... It's us that are the problem. Um, the second thing is what we talked about as well in the first day, so I'll, I'll kind of skim through it, was the whole concept of meeting to face to face with God is actually not always a pleasant moment. Um, sometimes it's, it's a scary moment. And so it's better for us that we don't. This is why the Israelites were petrified, right? When they're like, we want to see God. How come Moses gets to see God? And then when they got even just the tiniest taste of God's presence, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Moses is good, <laughs> right? Let, let him talk to you and he can come talk to us, okay? So we do need to understand that without the cockiness of thinking um, that we could stand in his um, presence. Um, because people greater than us were worried about receiving Christ. Even Cornelius, right? Cornelius the centurion was like, no, 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 don't come. He's like, just from, from where you are. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. Just fix me from wherever you are. So if you take the spirit of humility, I'm pretty sure you will, you will feel his active presence as well. But we do need to, to balance ourselves. Um, the other thing that we sometimes don't realize that is making us not feel his presence is that we actually don't care about talking to him. We're talking, we care about what we're talking about, right? Where we're excited that we prayed about a particular issue. <laughs> like, and I, I'm guilty of this, I've done this before, where I'm like, yeah, that was a good prayer. I'm like, I, I talked I about this and this and this, and, and it had nothing to do with God. Um, and it's a very easy thing to fall into. It wasn't about an encounter with Christ. It was about the words of my prayer. And I was like, ah, oh, this one was deep. Um, but it was, again, it was an, an emotional thing. It was a feeling thing, but it was not about him. Um, so don't think about what you are praying ab about as the object of your prayer. Make the object of your prayer being in his presence and what you're praying about the subject of your discussion. It's a different, it's a, it's a bit of a paradigm shift, okay? Is that I'm not coming to you because I need to talk to you about so-and-so. I'm coming to you because I love spending time with you. And while I'm spending time with you, I'm going to bring up these things because they're on my mind and because I'm worried about them and because you're my dad and you're their dad as well. Um, that is the proper context to have it. Um... And as we also touched on earlier, one of the other reasons we sometimes don't feel his presence is because we're not being ourselves. We're being somebody else. Well, Anthony Bloom says that sometimes God doesn't present himself to us out of his mercy, that if we meet him, then our judgment might be condemnation or being saved. So it's out of his mercy that he doesn't present himself to us? Is that accurate? Yes. That's why I was saying the first one is like, it might not be a pleasant moment because you're not in the state to see him. Right? Like, when you're caught in the middle of, like, red-handed, 
that's not the day you want to meet his creator. In fact, there's a verse that we'll read during Holy Week. Um, and it's, I think it's used in movies. I didn't realize when I was a kid. Again, we know the horse, the charioteers and not our Bibles. Um, where God says something to the Israelites. He goes, prepare to meet your God. Right? And it's like, and it's scary. Right? Like the whole chapter is, is scary. Um, in fact, when you read the Pascha readings for like the mornings of Pascha and even the evening ones, what is the theme for like the whole, like after day one, day two, after they go through the economy? The day of the Lord, right? The day that you encounter God. It's a scary day. Even the most close to Him, even the most holy of people have this fear. Does God want us to be petrified of Him? No. So that's not what I'm trying to teach. I'm not trying to say like, like live in petrification. But we do need to remember that aspect of God, right? That just like our, our earthly parents, we love them, they love us. But we also were really not like excited to meet them when we messed up really badly, right? <laughs> like, we were like, <laughs> I'm going to come home late. Maybe they'll be asleep by then, right? We just, we don't want to meet that encounter. So, yes, like, we, it is out of His mercy that He doesn't reveal His whole glory to us so that we might live, right? And so, it is always, God is always acting in mercy. Um, I'm going to skip um, rushing because we talked about earlier. Um, just when you're praying, do not hurry from word to word. Just take your time. Um, I'm thinking of what else we can skip. I'm trying not to rush. Um, pray. Okay, so here's another important, just random piece of advice uh, with with obstacles. Um, St. Theophan says to pray as if you're beginning to pray for the first time. Um, never regard any spiritual work. This is actually very, very good advice. Um, and it's even true. I don't know how many of you guys, when you started a new job that you felt you were completely inadequate for, the person who sees themselves as inadequate learns so much because they don't feel that they know everything. And so they ask questions. They go around and they, they, they read and they, they're very meticulous about it because they want to perform well. So when you're praying, don't ever think you've mastered prayer. And so don't be like, oh yeah, I was at that stage once. No, you're always at that stage. Even if you're not, it's better to treat yourself as though you are. Because in doing this, um, you'll be able to grow in prayer because it's, you're always feeling like you're encountering Him anew. Um, with a newborn enthusiasm, um, and as though I've never prayed properly. Um, this is good advice. If you are not successful in your prayer, St. Theophan says, do not expect to have success in anything. Um, then we have another important concept, periods of spiritual drought, okay? Spiritual dryness. This is very, very common, okay? And it's also very necessary. So we ought not to be discouraged if you have a period of dryness. It does happen, Everybody goes through this. Monks go through this all the time. Bishops go through all this time, like the priests do and the people do. It's, it's frustrating and it's hard, um, but it is a reality. Um, so these states are inevitable. Um, sometimes dryness is a result of our own actions, okay? Um, so sometimes... It's because we have inclined ourselves to something that is really unholy um, with our whole hearts. And so because of it, we find ourselves dry, very, very, very dry. And so God may withdraw some grace, and it's not because He loves you less, um, but it's because you're in a relationship. And to understand this concept a little bit better so that it doesn't sound like God was doing some mean thing, um, think of a relationship between a child and his dad. Um, in infancy, like we said, it's all nurturing, right? But as the child grows and develops the intellect, he now has to do things of his own free will. So if a child, and, it's, and, and so if we consider graces as kind of like these gifts that the parents give to their kids all the time, that they're happy to give and that they want to give all the time and are free, they're not earned, right? Graces oh. is free. 
If the person, on the other hand, decides not to have a relationship with the dad, it's not because, no longer means that the dad doesn't want to give gifts. And it doesn't mean that he was waiting for the kid to do something to award him. But it's because if you don't have a relationship, you're not able to respond to the love of this father because you've liked somebody else. So for example, let's say some kid wants to be a doctor and they're struggling to get decent grades. If they're in a relationship with their dad and their mom and they're able to talk freely and talk back and forth, yeah, I really wanted to do this, but I'm just, I'm not doing well in school. Then the parents are like, okay, well, how about we get you a tutor? Right? Like they're offering this free gift. Did the kid earn the tutor? Actually, no, it's the opposite. He sucks at school. Right? <laughs> so like he didn't earn it. It's a free gift. But because they're in a relationship, um, they want to give it. Um, and then the dad will be like, oh, he wants med school. That's going to be expensive. I'm going to start saving for him right now. Um, but if we turn away from this, so we don't want to have this relationship anymore with our, our parents, um, and we start, the, the guys at, cool, at school are way cooler, I'm just going to chill with them, I don't want to talk to them, my parents are lame, they're so old-fashioned, they're Egyptian, they're whatever, right? Or we get to an addiction to something, then the parents still want to give the gift, but you're not in, you're not in dialogue with them anymore. You haven't even communicated that you want it. And the dad is dying and the mom is dying to give you something to help you. But you are refusing it. Okay? So there can be chastisements where they can be like, no, until you learn this, I'm not giving you this. That's fine. Like parents do that. But then there's also, so that's when it's our fault. But there are also times where because we've, we have exited the relationship, we're not experiencing his grace. And it's not because it was a punishment that, he, is that he's withdrawing grace, it's that we're not responding to it. It's an important distinction. And when we do this, we do often feel spiritual drought. Um, because like, there was stuff going on that you didn't know was going on when you were home with the family. You're having family meals, you're joking around, you went on vacations, and you didn't take much out of them at the time, you didn't think about it. But then suddenly when it's removed, you feel empty. right? And you're just like, I, I miss it. Where was it? And you don't know how to function and your mood changes. And then even though you like them, you don't know how to talk to them. Like it's, it's a whole state of being. Okay? This is often the cause of our spiritual um, drought that we need to understand. Um, and then the fathers tell us if we're feeling dryness, we need to take a look at ourselves and ask ourselves, have we been in a period of conceit? presumptuousness or pride because if we have been in a state where we really think we're, we're the stuff of spirituality don't be shocked if you find you're in a spiritual drought it's because you considered yourself the spiritual master instead of understanding that it is not you it is grace once you start to take credit for something that is not yours you will lose it right like this is this is absolutely pivotal importance of spiritual life. Um, so whether it's pride um, or of really a lot of passionate sins, anger, lying, spitefulness, um, all of these things will make you draw cold because your relationship with God is about love. These sins are the opposite of love. So if you are living in these things, you won't feel love because these are all anti-love. These are, are, are self-directed um, things instead of self-denying things. So examine yourself, what your mood and what your spiritual life has looked like. Um, the passions are important. Sometimes it's also our failure to trust in God. Um, and the minute, and this is part of the pride thing, but sometimes it's a disguised one, like it's a subtle difference where we just start to look at ourselves. The minute that you no longer place your trust in Him, things will go awry. Um, and then the Lord withdraws Himself. And this is biblical, right? When the Israelites were like, we want to make an alliance with Egypt. God is like, I'm telling you not to make an alliance with Egypt. And he's like, no, we want to go with Egypt. He's like, I'm telling you not to go with Egypt. And they're like, but, but they're strong. And there's enemies coming. He's like, So they leave and they make an alliance with Egypt. Who gets defeated in like a week? Egypt, right? And he's like, he abandoned them. Like, not fully abandoning, but he's like, no, if this is what you're insistent on, if I'm, I'm pleading with you, I'm trying with you, but you do not want to rely on me, you want to rely on these other people, these other things, go for it. Right? In like colloquial. Let them uh, support you. But they didn't. Let them, they, they, they will fail because humans will fail. 
So sometimes your dryness might come from not trusting God, but trusting in something else. Um, and sometimes that might be a habit of like, no, 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 I have great self-control. No, 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 I'm in this really good group. Um, and they're so religious. And it's like, okay, but they're also human. No, 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 that priest is just amazing. No, he's a human too. Right? Every human being of any rank, of any kind, of any color, of any robe or non-robe is a human and can fall. God cannot. He does not. So our faith is nothing wrong with having these as supports, but our foundation is always in Christ and nobody else. He is the solid rock. So all of these other things are good aids. I'm not downplaying them, but they are not our foundations. They are simply supports, and supports can fail. Um, another cause of dryness, self-indulgence and self-pity, where you just give yourself whatever you feel like, which is consumerism, and that is this nation and Canada. Um, it's the culture of the West, right? Is like the question is not like um, why should I get this? It's like why wouldn't you? Can't you afford it? Like like that's it. Like open buffet, right? Like everything is this this concept of take 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 take. No self restraint. In fact, look at how much fasting has changed in the last decade. Like it used to be that like during Lent we were very strict. I remember when we were a kid it was like. We would look for modified milk ingredients in the thing, like, nope, it's modified milk, right? And then sometimes there was no modified milk, but it was still like a flavor that wasn't Siomi. And like, no, no, no. Whereas now it's just like, ah, it's cheese. I'm Alish, right? Like, it's okay. Um, and then we're like this fake everything, self-indulgence, right? Like, and because of it, we, we can't say no on anything anymore. Right? Like, absolutely nothing. Like, I'm not just saying because of this food. I'm saying as this, this culture has made us unable to deny ourselves in anything. But Christ fasted. He didn't need to fast. He wanted us to deny ourselves. Right? Like, that to understand that there's more to flesh. There's more to our bodies than flesh. There's a spirit as well. To enter into spiritual combat. We take from fasting the ability to say, no, I'm not going to have this. Not because it is evil. It's not evil. Food isn't evil. God made it. It's because I need to have continence, right? Because it's helpful to me. But if you have no, the inability to say no to yourself, you will have spiritual drought. Because when you go to pray, you don't know how to say no to a single thought. Like, you can't even say no to your belly. Do you think you're going to say no to a thought? Like, instead of fighting a thought when it comes, you're just going to indulge that thought. Why can't I have that thought? It's my right to have that thought. Who is anybody to tell me not to have it? Right? And then, so then when God convicts you, it's like, I don't like this God. Give me the nice God. Right? And so, like, you have all of these, like, hillbillies that are like, no, Jesus loves Yeah, He loves you. Okay, but He hates sin. So, we do need to stop sinning. And He's very, very emphatic about His loathing of sin. So we need to develop an ability to say no to ourselves, and you'll find that it's easier to pray and not be dry. Um, so another, the last one I'll bring up on this topic of, of dryness, because we said conceit, is that you need to sometimes recognize that what you think is zeal, okay, passion or excitement towards the spiritual life, is actually conceit. Um, and this is a subtle one, and, it, and it's what we call a right-hand war, right? It's very easy to, to identify attacks of the enemy that are sinful. When he's like, ah, like, steal. And it's like, no, that's bad. But it's harder to identify when he's trying to trick you into thinking that you're doing something good. And this is very common and often results in a huge fall, like huge fall. Um, and this is where some people's spiritual lives are broken. Like, no, I was religious, I was zealous, and blah, blah, blah. And then they'll have done something gigantic, and they're, they feel awful. Um, and they're like, no, I was religious, and I did this. Clearly, being religious doesn't help. Um, and then you sit there, and you're like, whoa. Like, and then people have no idea how to answer them. Um, and they're just like, no, 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 you, you must have done something wrong. You didn't fast enough. You didn't pray enough. And it's like, no, he was doing all of the above. Um, but he was doing it not in what he thought was zeal, um, but it was actually conceit. And the devil will sometimes give us something to try that's beyond our strength. And I've gone through this before, 
um, where like my father confession, like back in the day was like, ah, you know, you should just fast until whatever hour. And I'm like, I can fast way more than that. Um, he just doesn't know. Um, so I was like, whatever, like I could just conveniently just happen to not be able to eat till then so that I'm not disobedient, right? When the real thing behind this is pride. How could he think that I'm just right? Like, um, and so I'd fast and fast and fast. And then when he'd be like, okay, just read this much from the Bible. And I'm like, I can read way more than that. I'm a reader. I love reading. Um, <laughs> right. And so like you develop this thing and this zeal and you're like, make yourself like edit dunya, right? Um, but then you'll find that these people, like, you point out, like, a flaw, and they're super defensive. Like, really defensive. And they'll justify it like there's no tomorrow. No, 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 I understand. I only did it because blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, uh, okay. Like, why are you defensive? Like, to us, it's not a big deal. And it's because the real cause of this is, is pride. And there's an infamous, infamous story of that monk who had um, an angel, so-called, appearing to him. Telling him, Tubak, blessed are you. Um, you are so holy. I'm going to pray Tizbaha with you in your cell. And so this monk stopped going to Tizbaha because he's got an angel. Who, who would choose like, the annoying magma over angel of God? So he's praying every day with this angel. And he's like, this is sick. Um, and he tells his, his spiritual father. And his spiritual father is like, Habibi, something's not right. And he goes, my spiritual father is jealous. That's his issue. Um, and so like, I'll just keep it to myself and hasalilu. Um, so it's like, Qatar al Um So he goes on and on and on. And, this thing is, and then the, the, the community is like, come back. Like, you're gone. You used to be one of us. And you don't even talk to us anymore. And he goes, just pray for me. Right? This very meek, like, gentle thing. Um, until finally the angel tells him, dude, you're like Elijah. Um, and we're sending, God's sending you a chariot. Um, and this chariot um, is going to take you up to heaven because you've been worthy to be like him. So meet us on the monastery wall right after, right, right at the beginning of Tizbaha so that the monks would be in the church when it happens that nobody can stop him. So the monks are in Tizbaha and then they just hear a terrible scream um, because this illusion of a chariot comes, he falls off and he almost dies. Um, and so he, he's able to repent, um, like his spiritual father and all of them surround him, but he was lucky um, that he lived. But like delusions of grandeur. So he, but he thought he was being zealous. And there was things happening to make him feel like he was even more uh, uh, religious. But forget like these delusions and apparitions and things like that. Without an angel of God appearing to you, it is not hard to fall into the state of thinking that you're doing more. And you're no longer doing it for the right reason. You're doing it to prove that you can. It is not about love of God anymore. It's about um, yourself. Um, so never have an exaggerated opinion of your own abilities. Instead, think anything I do is by the grace of God. Um, and that, like St. Paul says, what gift do you have that you did not first receive? So in all things, turn it into thanksgiving. Just like there's another monastic story, the opposite of it, where an angel of God appears, uh, but it's a devil, to a one monk, and he goes, um, uh, I, I'm here, the Lord my God has sent me because you have been found greater than all the saints and blah, blah, blah. And the monk looks at him, he was so simple, and he goes, um, actually, I think you got the wrong cell. I think the monk beside me, because he's way better, um, is the one that you want to see. And his humility made the devil disappear. Okay? So let's be like that guy. Like, no, we're not the stuff of, like, of being awesome. Because if you do, God will remove his grace because he's like, you're, you're, not, you're not talking to me. Sorry. I'm not going to make myself present to you. You're talking to yourself and you're praising yourself and patting yourself on the back for what you think was an ascetic endeavor and it wasn't. Um, um, the other topic that I'm, I'm going to leave till tomorrow because it's important um, as part of the living prayer is going to be the passions about sin holding us back from prayer because I think it warrants its own like longer um, thing. Do we have time for Q&A or where are we on the on the schedule. Yeah? Okay. Does anybody have uh, questions? So, I was wondering what your thoughts are on intercessory prayer for people who, um, just like anyone you're praying for, like maybe somebody that doesn't go to church or that's wronged you or whatever. Um, like, first of all, how do you deal with praying with them, for them without judging them? 
and also like what should your expectations be when you're praying for something to happen like uh, you know do you pray for something specifically do you pray for like general reconciliation like just kind of like your thoughts on that when we pray we need to balance two things human will and God's will right God is a respecter of human will um, so he's not going to override, it's very rare, I should say, for him to override um, human will. So, for example, when we're praying for somebody to come back, God may, may send people, he may outreach them, but he will not force the person to accept. Um, so when we pray, we can, we can pray, O oh Lord, soften their hearts, O oh Lord, um, let them be more open to this. O oh Lord, surround them with those who might be able to reach him or to show him the love that he or she needs um, because Lord we know it is your will right like go back to the Bible this is when our Bible becomes our prayer because Lord says I desire that all be saved Lord we know that you even want him to be saved or we know you want her to be saved so, so, so please oh Lord pro- provide it so our expectations like let's always hope for the best while understanding that the human will has a role in the situation, right? When you're talking about something that affects how another human being is, it's different when we're talking about disease or we're talking about um, other aspects that have very little human will involved in them. Um, but I, I go through different phases in terms of praying for specifics. Um, I once was sitting with a priest, I was telling this to somebody um, earlier. Um, he's a Muslim convert who's a priest in our church, um, he serves in India. And he said something to me once that was very beautiful. He said, I don't any longer pray for specific things for people. He goes, I, I just kind of hold them up in the mind of my heart's mind. We were talking about this whole heart prayer before the throne of God and just say, Lord, so-and-so. Like you see him or her in their entirety. Um, you, you know what we're asking of you. Um, others will say, will say, pray specific. So just do what is natural to you. Um, and that comes from the heart without worrying too much about um, that aspect of it. Um, what do you feel like in terms of when you pray, uh, a lot of times, you know, you have, like she mentioned intercessor, but like for you know, you know, intercessor through the, through the saints, um, do you feel that uh, like using them as the, your intercessor <coughs> is stronger? Um, well, I mean, I know your, your prayer is probably stronger, but what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you, do you feel like that's 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 the way to go? I guess, or like having intercessions like of saints. Yeah, I, I'm a firm believer in that <laughs> um, because my life experience has shown me their efficacy, right? And it's biblical. Um, God said, "I'm a God of the living, not of the dead." And if they are near to the throne of grace, um, then we have every reason to. In the same way that when we have our parents, we could always ask our, our parents anything. Um, but sometimes when we want something from dad, even though we could ask dad, we go to mom, right? And be like, um, can you please just ask him, like, I really want to go to like this thing, right? Can you just do it for us? Could you just ask dad directly? Yes, you could. And God likes this because he wants us to participate as a family, right? Which is why he also says, pray for one another. Why? Like we don't, we don't need to, but it's an expression of love, and this love is everlasting. It's in the kingdom to come, and it's in the kingdom here. So we shouldn't look at at intercessory prayer because people get really worked up on this whole sense of how do they know, and it's like philosophical, and 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 I think um, a waste of of time um, to get deeply into. Those who have experienced the lives of the saints on earth will attest to it. Um, like. I'm in love with Anthony for a reason. He's been an active part of my, a very active part of my life, right? He was an active part of returning me to faith. Um, and so if he wasn't there, I'd probably be an atheist. Um, so if it wasn't for those things, then I would experience, have a different life experience. So we don't pray um, intercessory prayers of the saints in replacement of our prayers with God, obviously. Um, but it's more of understanding our heavenly communion and our communion of the church here and the church above as one church. Um, and so just like um, people would sometimes go to the apostles and be like, can you ask him like this? They went to St. Mary, could you please um, ask him to do this? Um, it's, it's the same thing, um, and it doesn't demean anything. I don't know if I answered fully, yeah. but okay.
fully uh, understand about um, praying for the deceased. I feel like it's something that I personally have heard very little about, and uh, heard Buddha Prolos talk about it a little bit, and you know, in our prayers where we're kind of almost pleading for their souls, and it's um, I just know very little about it and its importance and the need for it, and um, you know, and I recently listened to a sermon. Father Josiah Trenham was talking about it, um, about how it's like, hey, you know, when you die, it's not like, oh, you're instantly, you know, Mr. God in heaven. Like, he kind of spoke to that, this trial or something that I just went way over my head. So maybe you could speak to that and help me understand that. <laughs> Again, it's the importance of the Yeah, this is a, a very controversial issue. <laughs> um, presently because a lot of people have strong opinions in both directions about this so I'm going to not give my own opinion I'm just going to give you what the opinions are um, and maybe we can discuss them outside of this um, there are various opinions there are those who believe that it is done and final and those people who will say this will use usually to their um, their argument the story of the rich man and Lazarus the parable where they were begging with um, God and then um, they were told he has Abraham and the prophets um, and that like he was like okay well go to them but he's like there's a great gap between us and none can cross from here to there or here to there but we have to also keep in mind that this was a parable um, so this is what those who say that it's absolutely impossible like prayers have no value um, this is what their opinion is uh, there's a second opinion that there is a chance for salvation or remission of sins after death um, and those um, who who talk about this will often use as a biblical support the fact that God sent people out into the streets to bring them into the banquet, um, that they were outside of this wedding banquet, because we talk about, and God speaks about heaven as a heavenly wedding banquet. So they were saying, well, he then went out into the streets. Obviously, there are other meanings to this, but the Jews and the Gentiles and bringing in anybody, um, but that's one of the things that they talk about on the one hand. The other thing that they talk about is, as you said, that we don't understand what happens after death. Like, we sometimes speak dogmatically as though it's an instance where you are suddenly in heaven or suddenly in hell, when we don't know if this is really the case. And in fact, there's some evidence to say otherwise. They are spiritual incidents, and so we can't make dogmas out of them because we don't know whether this is a, a real thing, a demonic thing, a real revelation from God. But there's enough that's happened to make us question. In fact, there's many stories in Coptic lives and legends and in, in Catholic and in Protestants. Um, every denomination of Christianity has stories about people having revelations of somebody who was in hell and going over. I've read them from every single denomination. So... They, the justification is to say that we're praying for them, hoping that God has mercy on them, and that we lose nothing by praying for them. And in fact, there seems to be some stories of people who are forgiven. And so why not hope, um, is, is the second argument. Um, the third one is a very philosophical one. Um, it's, not, it's not wrong, and it kind of just is a, it's kind of like a, an easy out, I think, um, is to say that because God is outside of time, our prayers for somebody that come to God are not seen in a state of time. It's neither before nor after to God because it is somebody who already lived, but because God is outside of time, it, it has a different meaning so that they're, they're efficacious. So I'm not going to say which of these I subscribe to, but those are the three. What I would also suggest is that the opinion of the early church must have been something similar to option number two, that there is something, a possibility, because we're not praying the prayer of the departed to like make people in the congregation feel good. Um, like we don't do prayers that mean nothing. Otherwise, that would be like scandalous in church. Um, and second is that until recently, um, we had in the Segda prayers the prayer of the kneeling on the day of Pentecost. We had a very explicit prayer for the souls of those who are in Hades. Um, that was removed in the last decade. Um, there's been some discussion about putting it back but regardless of the reasonings of, of removing it or putting it back or whatever it is this is an ancient prayer which suggests that the early church did feel that there was a possibility of mercy um, following it yeah, well, I was just going to add the comment that you know, even when Jesus was around he raised people from the dead so to me 
that is definitely a possibility that something can happen. Otherwise, where was Lazarus, mm -hmm. you know, during that time period before Jesus came along and raised him? And, you know, Jesus did that with other people who asked him to intercede on someone's behalf. Like, mm -hmm. there was someone whose daughter was ill and passed away, but mm -hmm. that person, I don't know, was that a centurion or who was it that as soon as Jesus said it was done, the, the person was back alive? Right. I think they would respond saying that that was a raising from the dead completely. But regardless of where somebody stands on this issue, I think what's more important is that to understand that you can never go wrong by praying, right? In the worst case scenario, it just doesn't happen. Um, so if prayer is an act of love, then just love everybody. Like, pray for everybody, regardless of what the results are going to be. Um, and I'm very confident that if we have compassion on people, God is infinitely more compassionate than we are. Um, so if we're concerned about them, I have no doubt that God is much more concerned about them um, than we are. And so for us to kind of meddle in the affairs of God's judgment, I feel is a waste of our time. Um, where it's like, I care about my relationship with Him, the salvation of everybody that I know. Um, and let God, as He Himself said, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And like, that's for me um, sufficient. Um, somebody asked when you were talking about how you didn't like praying the Agbeya, um, how are you able to focus on the words while praying them? To be honest, I still forced myself. Um, I didn't like that I was being forced to have a certain rule, but I still forced myself to pray because I was like, I'm not doing it for the dude, sorry, the person who gave me the rule. Um, but um, it was more about this, uh, this feeling of constraint. Um, but I did try my best to focus and accidentally ended up memorizing. Um... Someone else had a hand up just a second ago. Like regarding hearing God's will when you pray, um, so I understand that if you're praying for like a future decision, then um, you know, you have time for God, like you don't need to do like many times, but what about if you are like being faced with a situation right now, like if you're driving somewhere and you're going to have to like act a certain way or make a decision there, how do you? So if you're dealing with something that is like an, an acute emergency, okay, like it's it's um, needs to be dealt with right away. Um, what the fathers say, and it's not because of a magical number, but it's just kind of like it's trinitarian. They say pray three times. Um, and then do what your heart says and be confident that the Lord will protect you. So um, if you are stuck where it needs to be that quickly, then have confidence that God's not going to condemn you um, because you had to make a, a word of the moment. But those things are, are rare. Um, how do we pray? Um, sorry. How do we now pray for our enemies when we are con constantly dealing with their evilness and can't avoid them? That's a good question. It's an honest question. Um, we said that we were created in the image and likeness of God. So we are always supposed to be attempting to be like God himself. Um, and so Christ told us, they hated me. They will hate you. Um, he also said that if you love me, you will deny yourself and take up your cross. Christianity is about a cross. It's not about feeling good. Um, there are joys to Christianity. It's not miserable, but it's not... The call to Christianity is, is not like, come here, it's going to be sick, we're going to party. It's no, um, come here, take your cross, um, and, and walk behind me um, to Calvary. Um, but if you walk with me to Calvary, you will rise with me in Jerusalem. Um, and so we take the image of our Lord, who loved even during his death, right? Even when they were shouting and hurling insults at him, even when his own friends backstabbed him, right? Literally. Um, even when everybody left him and the people that he was on the cross for were despising him, even in that moment, he prayed for them. So it's, it's 
if we can remember what he did, it'll be easier for us to do um, what is infinitely less than what he did. Because we can even make up excuses for them of problems in ourselves to some extent. He was faultless. Um, and even in that moment, he just said, and we can pray the same prayers. St. Stephen say, prayed the exact same prayer. He said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Okay, so have that in, in, in mind. And if you reach that level of praying for them, God will definitely give abundant grace um, in many aspects of, of your life. In Matthew 6.33 it is written, But seek first the kingdom of God.